Amen. Turn with me if you have your Bibles, your Bible app. Turn with me quickly to the book of Matthew. And we're going to read one quick verse and then we'll make our prayer. First chapter of Matthew. technical difficulties if it wasn't for technology, right? I just want to read one verse in your hearing and then Matthew chapter 1 verse 17 reads as follows. It says, all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the Babylonian exile and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you, we praise you, and we magnify you on today. We give you the glory and honor that's due your name. We thank you for your son Jesus who died for us. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to share in your word, Lord. We ask that you would have your way in this place today, Lord. We ask that Marco remains seated, but that your Holy Spirit will stand up and speak a word through me to these, your people. Have your way in this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you this day from the subject of who are you? Who are you? Who are you? When, when I'm asked that question, I pose that question to people all the time. In my Gullah Geechee background, I simply ask people, who you be? It's who you be. Now, y'all heard Pee Wee introduce me. I'm the, the son of Carolyn and the late Paul George. Born and raised here in Savannah, Mary Telfair Hospital, right there when it was down on Forsyth Park. I'm old, y'all. Y'all young folk don't know nothing about it. They're like, huh? <laughs> my mother's people, my grandmother born and raised in Hilton Head, South Carolina, when everybody was excited about getting out of school for the summer and having fun summer, I wasn't. Me, my brothers, my sisters, my first cousins, we weren't excited. We were going to the country. Hilton Head was the country back then. My great-grandfather was the son of a sharecropper. He farmed 170 acres of land, and we went to the country to work the land. Wasn't no migrant workers. They had grand and great grand. I picked everything but cotton. <laughs> my grandmother's people on my mother's side were people that came here as enslaved people from Nigeria. On my father's side, my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, four generations removed, George Nepkin, came here as a freedman through Ellis Island through a cultural exchange program with Germany and Ethiopia. He was an Ethiopian Jew. I'm a Hebrew Israelite, y'all. 
I'm an Ethiopian Jew by blood. I'm a Christian by practice and by belief. But I'm a Messianic Jew. So when people ask me, who are you? I can tell them who I am. So my question to you tonight is, who are you? Do you know who you are? Maybe not all your genealogy and maybe not all your family background and your family lineage, but I want to pose the question tonight, do you know who you are in Christ? Who are you? Knowing who you are is not self-serving. It is essential to your well-being and your relationship with others. The way you view yourself will define how you rest, work, play, how you fight, and make peace. It will shape the way you love. It influences how you approach your relationship with God. Your sense of identity flows into your relationship with others. For example, if you believe the lie that you're worthless, the lie that shapes and distorts your outlook on life, it will influence how you treat yourself, how you treat your body, and how you allow other people to treat you. Your understanding or misunderstanding of your identity will define your sense of purpose and your, your, your contribution to the world. It will tell you whether to value your talents or believe you have nothing of value to offer. What you believe about your identity will tell you whether you share, whether, whether to share your dreams or whether to live as a person with vision and mission or whether to hide your dreams away, believing they are pointless. It's impossible for anyone to live beyond what we believe to be true about ourselves. When you are uncertain about who you are, you will believe wrongly that your value has to be earned. You will try to prove your worth through achievement. You will feel burdened instead of having a lasting peace and contentment. That contentment that grounds your life. You will rely on the recognition and applause of others to center you and to provide affirmation. What does all this do to you? You will exhaust yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally trying to earn the approval of other people or institutions. Then you'll take yourself beyond exhaustion and try to hold, hold on to that approval that you feel you have earned. We see it often in this social media world. People will do anything for a like or a follow. You'll have lost sight of the fullness of your true identity. You'll no longer believe the reality of your God-given potential and purpose. Coming to a deeper understanding of your identity in God, your gifts and your passions, your unique calling, free you to serve others in a way that you could never imagine. Frees you to serve in a way you never could if you remain unaware of who you are. Who are you? That's the question we ask. It was already said earlier during the prophetic declarations that we are sons and daughters of God. We 
I heard a lot about identity, and so that led right into the message. I was excited when I heard that because I said, man, God is working. He's moving, and the Spirit is one because my message is all about identity. Who are you? Sons of God are all numbered. The Bible says so. Listen to this. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names, Psalms 147 and 4. Y'all don't mind if I get the Bible involved in this, is it? Now, surely, as this verse here in the Psalms, you don't think that he was just talking about the bright lights that we see at night. You look up in the sky. Well, I would beg to say to you, beloved, that what God is interested in to name and to number are the stars referred to in Daniel 12 and 3 and Revelations 1 and 20. The sons of God that shall turn many to righteousness and shall be found in his right hand at his coming. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10 and 30 that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. The prophet Isaiah cried out in Isaiah 40 and 26, lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. Psalmist spoke very boldly. Numbers in Psalm 90 and 12 so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Now, don't think that he was talking about trying to figure out how long you're going to live. He said, teach us to number our days so that you may apply your heart to wisdom. He is talking about understanding the times. The Bible, if you don't know it, is a, a work of mathematical genius. If you've ever done any study in biblical numerology, you'll find out that the Bible is a book of perfect numbers. Or I should say it is a perfect book of numbers. Put it that way. It's a perfect book of numbers. Every letter of the alphabet of the original languages of the Bible are also a number. Thus, if you look at the original text and their number value, instead of a letter, you'll find that every paragraph in the Bible has an amazing and perfect numerical pattern. Also, every Bible name, both those of the saints of God as well as his enemies, prove to be very significant when converted to its numerical value. Converting of names and Words to their numerical value is known as a fancy word I'm not going to try to pronounce. How about that? <laughs> but books have been written on the subject. Biblical numerology is something that is real, and we see numbers play a big part. So much so that there's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. There's a strange verse of scripture that I read earlier dealing with numbers that seems to be at first glance a mistake. If you look closely, the verse I shared found in Matthew 1.17. I read earlier from the New Living Translation. I'm going to read here, go back a little bit to the old King James as they would say. 
says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David into the carrying away into the Babylonian captivity are 14 generations, and from carrying away into Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now, I want you to get your Bibles out. I want you to look at the first 16 verses. Now, if you're a nerd like me, you're a nerd like me, you will have discovered in those first 16 verses that Joseph, the husband of Mary, the earthly father of Jesus, was the 40th. Now, 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 simple math, 14 times 3. Anybody know that number? 42. So, if Joseph was 40, that would mean Jesus is 41. But the scripture we just read said that 14, 14, 14 until the Christ. So my question is, where is the missing generation? We right here? Somebody knows who you are. We are the missing generation. I would report to you and hopefully through this message give you even more evidence and more assurance that you are the 42nd generation. Listen with me. I don't want y'all to think this is my opinion, so as I said earlier, I'm going to get the Bible involved in this. Let's look again. Matthew 1.17 refers to the Christ of 1 Corinthians 12.12 12 and 12.27. Listen to it. It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And then verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. 42nd generation is not Jesus alone, but it is his son, the overcomer of Revelations 21 and 7. It is that company of people spoken of by Isaiah 8.18 and Hebrews 2.13. The children of God that he hath given me. Or the children that God hath given me. It is those referred to in Romans 8 and 29 as being conformed to his image. This is the generation of Jesus Christ, an elect company, an ecclesia, the called out ones. Who are you? Do you know who you are? You are the called out ones, the joint heirs with Christ, who rule and reign with him on the throne of his father David. There's no mistake. See, those who are skeptics, those who are 
oppose those non-believers. They would say, see, I told you the Bible was full of mistakes. They would take this verse, Matthew 1 and 1 down to 117, and say, see, there's a mistake. Matthew can't count. Matthew knew exactly what he was doing. God's word is infallible. Not only is it infallible, but it is amazing in its numerical. Listen, 14 times 3 is 42. 6 times 7 is also 42. Anybody know what the number 6 is? 6 represents the number of man. 7 represents the number of God or perfect perfection and completion in Christ. So when you bring those two together, you have the perfect God-man. Jesus the Christ, the head of the body, and those who would come into perfect maturity in him to make up his body, the fingers, the toes, the arms, the legs, the nose, the ears, the eyes, all those different parts of the body. We are his body. Look at what this says. Go to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Here in this messianic prophecy, it's referring to our Savior, written 700 years before his birth. We look at verses 8 through 10. It says, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the, transgression, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, I ask the question. How can a man who is cut off before... He ever had any children? How can he see his seed? How can his days be prolonged? In, 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 in ancient time, your days being prolonged was talking about your son coming up and raising seed. We, we heard about the movie that was talking about Abraham and Isaac and Isaac being the promised child and then Isaac having a son or twins, Jacob and Esau, and then those sons of Jacob going on and perpetuating that legacy of that name and that seed that, that was to come. But Jesus, we know, died, never married, never had any children. But here the Bible talks about his seed. It talks about his generation. It talks about prolonging his days. talks about his seed. It says here, look again at verse 10. It says, yet 
Though this one he prophesied about has been cut off, no one to declare his generations or carry on his name, yet we find word of the Lord saying, listen, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. What does that mean, folks? Somebody help me out. We in class, y'all. Don't listen. I'm not gonna stand here and preach to y'all. This is in. I I come from a Baptist tradition where we talk back to the preacher. All right. So if y'all used to being quiet around here, I need some help here. I need some feedback. Y'all help me out here. I'm, I'm when I'm not asking rhetorical questions. I I'm actually looking for an answer. We shall see a seed, a seed shall serve him. Now, now, now let's go to the book of Psalm. Look at the book of Psalm, and it says in Psalm 22. Psalm 22. This is a messianic psalm, and it speaks to, speaks about Christ. It says, a seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he has done this. His seed shall declare his generation. We're talking about a missing generation. We're talking about the 42nd generation. We're talking about the Christ, the body. Of the Godhead, the Christ. Listen at this. Isaiah got another picture in Isaiah 61.9. It says, all that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. You keep reading in verse 10. He speaks of the bride and the bridegroom and and of being clothed with the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. We understand this chapter of Isaiah. It talks about a definite, there's a definite reference to Jesus in this, in this chapter. Look at this. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus quoted in Luke 4. Not only are we his seed in that 42nd generation, but we are a chosen generation. We don't just see about it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul talked about it. Peter talked about it. Look in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That word peculiar means weird. <laughs> hey, if somebody thinks you weird because you love the Lord, that's okay. You're not supposed to fit in. If you fitting in with the world a little too easily, you might want to check yourself. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you fit in with the world, you might want to check yourself. You're supposed to come across to the world as weird. 
We are a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now I want you to understand. That right there is not a whosoever will. It's a little deeper than that, y'all. Now, 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 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But there's some of us that go a little further. There's some of us that have been chosen, that have been set apart, that have been called out, that are part of a special generation. Yeah, we special, y'all. When somebody say, you special, say, yeah, I special. <laughs> Listen. It's not the whosoever will. We look. It says, this is a sovereign election of the Father in the natural, you had no choice. Same way you were born in the natural, you had no choice of who your father was. Paul George is my father. I ain't have no choice in that matter. That's between him and my mama. I had no choice. You had no choice in where you were born. I had no choice. I was born in Savannah, Georgia. I, I wasn't here. I ain't have nothing to do with that. I was in the womb. I, I had no choice in that. It just happened. In the same way, in our election, we had no choice. It says, in this election of God, those whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 29. Now, this is, this is not the predestination of salvation or heaven. Understand that. That is what I meant when I said the whosoever will. That is the whosoever will. This is dealing with sonship. Sonship. We talk about sonship, coming into his image. You are a chosen generation. He chose you. You didn't choose him. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to work your way into it. He chose you. You ain't have a choice in the matter. He chose you before the foundation of the world. having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, not ours. His will. We have no choice. But it's a wonderful thing. Y'all ever get sometimes what you don't think you want, and once you get it, you realize how glad you got it when you get it? Did y'all follow me on that? See, you think you don't want something until you get it. And you're like, man, I'm glad I got this. This is one of those things. Look at this. It says, I have created him for my glory. 
go back to the prophet Isaiah. Now, now, in Isaiah 43, we'll see that he includes both men and women. For we say sonship, but, but there's no natural sex recognized by God when we talk about sonship. And I want you to notice this. They're coming from every direction. It says God is drawing his sons out of every nation and out of every denomination of Babylon. There are folk in this church from every different denomination. I'm Baptocostal. <laughs> With a little bit of Methodist in me. And I've been to enough Emmaus walks that I can I, I, I know the Methodist pretty good. I was raised in the Baptist church down in what they call the old fort, or for those of you that might have been around in modern times, Hitch Village Projects. Down there, Central Baptist Church sat right in the middle of the projects. The projects were so bad, they tore them down. They called that the old fort, I found out from my mama them, because they built those projects. Before the projects were there, it was just known as the old fort district. And they've gone back to calling it the old fort district. A little Baptist church down there. That's where I was raised. So I'm Baptist by experience, Baptist by tradition. But I've been blessed to, to work and to serve as pastor in a number of different churches. And all that stuff is man-made. All those denominations, that's man-made. That's what the devil does to try to divide us. So we split hairs over where we differ, instead of coming together over what we have in common, that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. But he didn't stay dead. That's another story for another day. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. He says, I created him for, for my glory. He says, fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Both Isaiah and Peter saw this company of sons were created and chosen for the purpose of, of glorifying God and showing forth his praises. Look at this. I want you to understand. This is not something man has dreamed up to exalt himself. Who are you? This is something God has brought forth that he might be glorified. God refers to them as both they and him. For it is a plural company of people who, under the headship of Jesus Christ, form a singular corporate body known as he that overcometh. Matthew 117, the Christ. We are the Christ. The body, 
We are the 42nd generation. So when I ask the question, who are you, you ought to know the answer by now. Some of y'all don't like y'all believe me, so I'm going to keep going. This was written for the generation to come. The evidence of sonship is overwhelming. And it's mind-boggling to me. I've been in church all my life, and I've been around preachers since I was a little boy. And it blows my mind sometimes to think that somebody can be convinced All right, join in. <laughs> All right. Nice crescendo. All right. <laughs> it's mind-boggling that 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 somebody could not be convinced after reading the scriptures of sonship. Again, I'm here just to remind you of who you are, not to convince you. Just to remind you of who you are. Pastor Kyle's been talking about it for the last six months or so, at least. I, I preached right here in this spot about six months ago, but it was Sunday morning. Y'all looking like, I don't remember that. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a Sunday morning. I was here for Pastor Matt preaching back in October. And then right after that, I did a walk to Emmaus with Renee. And then right after that, came and visited the evening worship and been here ever since. Y'all stuck. I can't, y'all ain't getting rid of me now. <laughs> Hey, whether you like it or not, I is your brother. <laughs> Don't hate on me just because I got a better tan than you now. I'm here to stay. I'm, I ain't going nowhere. But, but since I've been here and listening to Pastor Kyle preach and teach, he has been telling you who you are. So I'm just here to remind you who you are. Who you are. Look at this. Psalms 102 says, But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations, thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time is come, for thy servants take pleasure in her stones and and favor the dust thereof. So the heathens shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come. And the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from the heaven did the Lord behold the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death, 
to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. Look, 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 look what that said back there. This shall be written for the generation to come and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. This is written for the generation to come. Hey, newsflash, that generation has come. So, so what is he talking about when it says to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem? What is he talking about? Glad you asked. If you didn't ask, I was going to tell you anyway. Jerusalem was built on seven hills. The temple was on one of those hills. But the highest hill in the city was where David's throne rested. What you talking about, preacher? This was the hill known as Zion. The voice of the king was heard from this place, and the law went out of Zion. I won't get into all the details on this one. Y'all can go back and study it later. Just trust me. If you look at Jerusalem, the city of God, it's very clear from Revelation 21. Look at verses 2 and look at verses 9 and 10. That Jerusalem is a type and a symbol of the bride of Christ. The Lamb's wife. The church. But notice that the church there, that there are seven hills or, in this instance, seven realms of the Spirit. And the highest realm in the Spirit for the Christ is found in Zion. Those who sit on the throne to rule and reign with him, and not everyone in the church has this place, Again, this is not for the whosoever will. But I believe I'm talking to some chosen folk in here. Listen to what it says. It is for he that overcometh. These are they that are known as his brethren. Conform to his image, to whom he will declare the Father's name. Look at what it says about my brethren. Verse 21, it says, declare the name, it says that he comes to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. That's 102, Psalm 102, 21. Now if we go back, to Psalm 22, verse 22, it says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? Now let's look at New Testament. In the New Testament, in Hebrews, I like to call Hebrews the book of better things. In the New Testament, 
the Old Testament is explained. In the Old Testament, the New Testament is contained. Hebrews 2.12. Showing them the words of our Lord prophetically spoken in the Psalms, saying... I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praises unto thee? This should be conclusive proof of who Jerusalem is or who it is referring to when the Bible speaks about Zion. Romans 8.29 again. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Those brethren are also known as sons of God. The elect, the overcomers, the man-child, the Christ, the body. We are the Christ, son of man. God refers to us as my battle axe and weapons of war, the army of the Lord, and many other titles and references. He's talking about you and me. So again, I ask the question, who are you? Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're here? Since we're looking at Hebrews, right in Hebrews 2, look at verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Here we see the writer of Hebrews. He's given the words of Christ. These words spoken prophetically some 700 years before the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. Found them in Isaiah 8.18. In Isaiah 8.18 it says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. So I ask you, who are you? And then I ask you, why are you here? It says it right there. For signs and wonders. Yes. Hey, if y'all ain't excited about this, y'all need to pinch yourselves. Jesus was a sign and a wonder in Israel, but the good news is he's not alone. He says that God has given him some children, a seed, accounted to the Lord for a generation. These are both sons of God. You look in John 1.12, Romans 8.19. 
you find that. And brethren, Romans 8, 29, and Hebrews 12, I mean Hebrews 2, 11. And we just read 12 and 13 in Hebrews 2. Of the humanity of Jesus of Nazareth, these brethren, these seed, these sons of God, Jesus had to come in the flesh to become like us in order to make us like him. Say that again. Jesus had to come in the flesh. He had to become like us, die for us, to redeem us in order to make us like him. How can Jesus, the son, have sons? Well, in order for him to have sons, that means he must be a father. Y'all don't believe he was a father? I got proof. If, it's, if Jesus has brethren, then he's an elder brother. But if he has children, a seed to declare his generation, then he must be a father. I want y'all to think I'm making this up now. There's a principle in biblical interpretation that says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing should be established. All right? So, all that means is no scripture stands alone. That means you can interpret the scriptures by the scripture. There's going to be other scriptures that support what this one scripture is saying. Now, there are many preachers that get up and cherry pick and, and, and piecemeal stuff. I can make the Bible say whatever I want it to say. If I got some stinking thinking and I want the Bible to line up with that, I can find a verse to say that if I take that verse out of context. But that verse in its proper context should be supported by other verses. So, here we go. We're talking about Jesus as a father. 2 Peter 1.20. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 12 and 13 says, now he have we... Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know that the things that are freely given to us of God, which brings, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So, now let us look into the word of God to see what it says about Jesus as a father. So let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's look again at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You're laughing because you're familiar with that one. It's a very popular one, very familiar one. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the what? The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, that ain't Marco. That's, well, I would say black print on white paper, but that's black print on my computer paper. <laughs> The prophet does not apologize, explain, or mince any words. He goes, he's three different. I'm a child of Carolyn George. She's still around. She's over there in Liberty City somewhere. I'm her child. I'm her son. I'm her baby boy. I'm her son. Now, if you ask Auntie Onetta or Misha, Jeremiah, Mariah, and Isaac, they would say, that's my father. So in this verse, we see a child, a son, and then it starts giving these titles. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You look at verse 7, it talks about the child that is born is the, is the child that will rule and reign. His name, among other things, shall be the Prince of Peace. This is plain right here, y'all. It says that he is a mighty God, an everlasting Father. Is he? He's a child. He's a son. He has no biological children. But he has a gener. We've already proved that he has a generation, he has a seed. He's raised up. He called them his brethren. So they're like sons of God alongside him as joint heirs. But here he's saying he's the everlasting father. Now, if I want to get into some deep theological explanation, you know, I would talk about the hypostatic union. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> Let us know how you feel. <laughs> but we are going to look, look, look. It simply says he's the everlasting father. Can't be denied. Be careful not to cast aside the word of God. Believe what he says. So now if Jesus is the everlasting father, then who is his son?
Am I confusing y'all? All right. Say that again. Okay. Somebody been listening. That's good. Good class. She been listening. Look at this. If he is the 41st generation from Abraham, again, I ask the question, who is the 42nd? There you go. God's not going to stop at 41. It's just not a perfect number. And it doesn't add up. 14, 14, 14 is 42. I don't care how you, you just can't make it do, you can't make it be anything else. So we got to answer that question. We got to find out who the 42nd generation is. We've already talked about the number 42. It's six times seven. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of divine perfection. Plain. Right here. The everlasting father. The 42nd generation. This 42nd generation. By receiving the life of Jesus the Son, born from heaven by the seed of God, not Adam, who finally in the last days brings man to the state of perfection that God desires, then he is the everlasting father of the 42nd generation. He shall be my son. Say we can't do this with one scripture, right? Let's look at Revelation for the next scripture. Show the fatherhood of Jesus. First of all, let's establish the fact that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. We got that? Y'all have heard that before. So we're going to do what they taught me in the philosophy class. We're going to operate on that presupposition. If I'm boring y'all with these fancy terms, y'all just let me know. We ain't going to talk about the hypostatic union. You can breathe easy. <laughs> but we can say that it's established fact that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. You already believe this? There are some heretics. They've thrown the book away. They don't ascribe to this. And maybe they'll see it online. This is what the book says. When those voices begin to tell the things that violate their reason, things that even they cannot receive, then they will have no solid foundation, no plumb line to measure by. And then shall their foundation of sand crumble and their house fall. Revelation 1, 7, 8, and Revelation 22, 12 through 14. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth 
shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That's 1, 7, and 8. Look at 22, 12 through 14. It says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work, according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments and they that may have right to the tree of life. Blessed are they and, and may go, the day that, that have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So the son, who is the everlasting father, who has sons, is the alpha and the omega. That's all that hypostatic union is talking about. It's just one and the same. He's 100% God, 100% man. He is the, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Is one God in three distinct representations. Now, if there's any doubt in your mind about who is speaking, verse 16 goes on to say, I, Jesus. So here the Lord gives his name. John the Revelator is writing this. And in case you're confused about who's talking, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he goes on to say, I, Jesus. Now look at Revelation 21, 6 and 7. Find out who the son is. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 13, 4, 11 through 13, that the ministries of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given to the church till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. So, if we think about the sons of God and being the perfect man, And why do we still have these ministries in the church? I'm going to answer that question in a minute. Look at Revelation 21, 6 and 7. It says, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is at thirst 
of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So you thought you knew all about the sons of God, and you thought you thought that maybe if the sons of God had already been here, then we wouldn't have these ministries. That is, the ministries that Paul talked about in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. The evangelists, prophets, pastors, apostles, teachers, all of those that are given to the church until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. And you ask the question, why do we still have these ministries in the church? I would beg to say that the hour has now come problem is some of us are still asleep. Wake up! <laughs> Awake. Zion. Awake. We know that Jesus is speaking. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, is the God and Father of the Overcomer. Then if he is God, who is the son of God? The overcomer. You got something else? What about Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God? It was true. Peter didn't lie. The Bible didn't tell us a, a misstatement. Peter's confession was true for Jesus was the Son of God, for he was the first overcomer. And as such, he overcame and sat down with the Father in his throne, and he says that when we overcome, he will grant us to sit down with him. Find that in Revelation 3.21. The hypostatic union. You can't separate or divide him from the Father. He said, where you see me, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. Neither can you divide him from his body. The body of Christ. See his prayer in John 17 when he prayed his high priestly prayer. He said, Father, I would that they would be one as you and I are one. So you can't separate him from the Father and you can't separate him from the body. I have manifested thy name unto the men which you gavest me out of the world. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou give, has given me. For they are thine. This is found in Isaiah 8.18. But we heard him pray this same thing in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Find it somewhere else.
Hebrews 11. Says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Colossians 1, 27, and also Colossians 2, 9 and 10. That the world may believe that Thou hast sent me, I in them, and thou in me, and they may be made perfect in one. And I have declared unto them thy name. It goes back to what we talked about earlier, Psalms 22 and Psalms 102. So, when I ask the question, who are you? I can ask the same question and should get the same answer, who is Christ? You are the body of Christ. You are the true seed of Abraham. Jesus is our Lord and Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one who came to redeem us. But we are his son. We are his generation. We are his Christ, the body who is set aside, who is coming to the world that the world might know that the Father sent him. How do they know who we are? He said, by this shall men know that you are my disciples and my disciples for real, by the love that you have one for another. So when I ask who are you, you should say my loved one. When I ask, who are you, you should say, I am the body of Christ. When I ask you, who are you, you should say, that's my brother from another mother. Who are you? That's the question of the night. Who are you? You are the Christ. Who are you? Listen, y'all. I'm about to close. This subject is inexhaustible. I could preach for days. about Zion, the sons of God, the generation of Jesus Christ, the 42nd generation of Matthew 117. This generation shall not pass away until every promise of God has been fulfilled down to the last jot and tittle. I must close. Understand. There are many good things in eternity for the church. Christ loves his bride. There are many promises to the whosoever will people. Heaven will be wonderful for the 30-fold and the 60-fold. But it is in this company of sons, the 100-fold, that God has purposed to place the fullness of himself to the praise of his glory. It is with them he will share his throne, his authority and power and dominion. When he created Adam, he created him to be kings over the earth domain. Kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
He is calling us to be kings over the earth's domain. His kingdom to come to earth. This comes entirely by grace. Through the sovereign choosing of God, we cannot deserve it. We cannot fast and pray enough to earn it. But we can receive it by faith, joyfully and gratefully. As he offers it to us out of the abundance of his love and mercy to us. God's whole program now is geared to, ex to the express purpose of his perfecting these living sons. Listen. The actions of even our enemies and all circumstances are controlled by the Lord to the intent of bringing forth out of us every expression and every spirit that is unlike him so that he can deal with it and deliver us. The whole world is yearning. The whole world, even the entire creation of God, awaits with groaning for the unveiling of the sons. For with the manifestation and unveiling of his sons come a deliverance. Hey, folks, we are called to solve the world's problem. The world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. No matter how much doom and gloom you see on the news, just understand that we win. I cheated, y'all. I turned to the end of the book. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. Just understand it's not falling apart. It's falling into place. And we are called to be the solution. Hey, we have the cure for the cancer of sin. And we have to walk in it and live it out. That's why he's called us. He has redeemed us for that purpose. He has chosen us to walk in that authority. So I ask you, in closing, who are you? God bless you all. All right. Before I close it out, uh, my head is spinning right now because there's the 42nd generation. I'm just sitting here and thinking about. So that goes. That tells me in the, the beginning of Matthew that we were thought of in that. So the whole this is so crazy because let me pull this up because I, just a year ago, do you know what the book is before Matthew of this reading talking about the. The generations of Jesus. That's what it's, it's talking about. But I, I've never thought of it with us being in that generation. So that, that's the thing right why I was so kind of tongue twisted. It was like, man, I'm trying to chew this thing to, to get that revelation. But about a year ago, the Lord gave me a word for relentless. It said, we are coming into a Malachi 4 season. And the the... The scripture right before this taking place was Malachi 4. And this word that God gave was for this church. 
said that, said that we're coming into a Malachi 4 season. God said, look at the mighty warriors I am sending. They may not appear that way now. I will position you to operate with holy fear. I will mantle and seat them with the authority to speak to cancer, and it must flee. Raise the dead, save the lost. You will be the next forerunners for this region. A small remnant, but mighty in power, raising up generals like Moses, that's the apostolic. Saving, saving the lost like John the Baptist. <clears throat> raising up the next generation. Like Elijah, that's the prophetic. To hear and fear the Lord, releasing authentic worship with no compromise. Building back the altar of God to consecrate and prepare a spotless, unblemished church. For my return, I'm pouring this out in Jesus' name. And the thing is, is the 42nd generation is us. I, when you sit there and said it, I think that God has been preparing us because when you start to get in order, it begins to talk about raising up the generals of the faith. I mean, the, the, when you get the apostolic order and, and we begin to function properly, you talked about the fivefold. So it just really just... I know 100% you were sent here tonight for that. It may be a little bit different, but we all got to cut our teeth somehow. Yeah. And um, so I just wanted to share that word because it's, it's right on time. And the thing is, is if we're going to change a region, we're going to change, we're responsible for this generation, no matter what color you are. It does not matter. The thing is, is God is strategically placing each person here for such a time as this. And he wants you to know that. So, Father God, we just thank you for tonight, God. God, I just pray that you bless Marco and his family right now, God. God, I pray that you just begin to pour it out over them. I bless him beyond their ability to receive, God. God, we just thank you for his obedience and the word that he has given. I pray that it becomes fruitful over and over again, God. God, I pray that we begin to take this word home tonight. And throughout the weeks and time to come to God, that we begin to realize the weight of the 42nd generation, God, that we're responsible. We can't blame it on nobody but ourselves. We can't blame it on the government. We can't blame it on the boss man. We can't blame it on anything or how the pastor didn't preach it right. God, it's our responsibility. We take that on right now, God, and we own it. God, as this house... We refuse to move forward without owning this. And God, I just pray that, that no matter what is, is thrown at us, God, this, for the rest of this year, God, I just pray that you just begin to unravel the blueprints of how we're supposed to do this, God. God, I pray that strategically that that you just begin to just make this plain, God. God, where we can flow with what you want us to do without quarreling, without resistance amongst our brother, God. God, I pray that we just begin to just operate 
with your manna, God. God, we just thank you. We thank you for everything you've done this far. But God, I pray that you just begin to just pour it out so we can just begin to walk through things, God. God, we just thank you. I just pray blessings over each person here, God. God, as they go out this week, God, I pray that they just begin to burn with a hunger, God, to just get in your word, begin to speak to you, God. God, we just, we just thank you and we honor you in Jesus' name.